We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the True Faith Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst and today we have a belting uh, chat with Martin Hardy for you about his brand new book, Rafa's Way. The book is out 5th of June, available to um, pre-order and order from touchingdistance.com. After that, it will be available um, from Amazon, all good local bookshops in the Northeast. Martin's previous two works uh, were absolutely fantastic. The kind of legendary now, Touching Distance, and Tunnel of Love. Uh, on each occasion, we've been lucky enough to speak to Martin about each of the publications and kind of how we put them together, how he wrote them, why he wrote them, and kind of some highlights for him. So I hope you enjoy what we've got. I hope you all go out and buy the book. I've read it. I'm fortunate enough probably to be the first first person to have read it. Uh, you'll find the review coming up as well on the True Faith website, as well as this podcast. Mark, Cor- Mark Corby's going to write that for us. So I'll get on with it. Um, anyone who likes what they've heard today, please share the podcast, retweet, give us a positive review. We really appreciate it. It helps us spread uh, spread what we're trying to do. And we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks with another another um, book review with Mark Douglas, who's bringing out his own uh, version of events of the season just gone. Um, you know, fantastic season for Newcastle United as a football club. So yeah, I'll be back with you then. I hope you enjoy what we've got for you today. So we're now joined with Martin. Martin, thanks very much for joining us. Great to see you as always. Pleasure. Let's let's get down to it. When when did you decide to start chronicling um, this season for Newcastle fans? Well, the, the, to anybody who's read Touching Distance and Tunnel of Love, there is a natural chronology which this one doesn't quite fit in. Um, but, but a few weeks, let me think. A few towards the end of the season when Newcastle relegated, it felt something was starting to happen then, which. You know, we've we've mentioned in the past, the club felt a lot more united. The supporters kind of can feel when the the whole thing's moving in the right direction. It had similarities with Kevin Keegan and it had a bit of Bobby Robson in there. And you thought this might be a period where the club can take off if they get things right here. Even though obviously they didn't, Newcastle didn't see in the Premier League. So following on from that and just being aware of what was happening at the club, the change that was taking place inside the club meant that, and I'd spent time on my own with Rafa meant that an idea formed in my head early in the se- uh, the start of the season which was why don't we do a diary with Rafa the book went off it, that was kind of the remit of it but it went off pieced a little bit which I was really pleased about I kind of went in different directions but came back to that I didn't just want it to be and then Newcastle played this game and da 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 and then they played that game I wanted it to be far more than that and li- living a season was great even though it was incredibly painful because when, I, when Rafa and I 
Stun had had the chat to confirm he would do it. You know, it was a hug and a handshake and a, by the way, Martin, if we don't get promoted, this book doesn't <laughs> exist. And it's like, well, okay, that means I'm taking a 50, 60,000 word gamble, which was what I was probably up to when the season finished. Then you've got to do another 30 or 30,000 after the season is finished because it was so dramatic. So it, it was it was really interesting living the season with the supporters at the same time, kind of going back to probably the role I had when I was about 20, feeling every defeat harder, being curious to the the, the, the immediacy of the reaction. As an example, say for, for, for Ipswich away with three games to go and the city was going in a meltdown. And what was so, what is so encouraging for Newcastle in the future under Rafa Benitez is that his message never changed. He didn't panic. He didn't get too carried away. Say, for example, with the win at Brighton, it was, it's three points, whereas to everybody else was like, wow, this is huge. Look at the way Newcastle played. They were so professional. And then after Ipswich, it was kind of, okay, we'll go and have a look at this, but we're still all right. And it just calmed everybody down. Then you're watching, you know, the Huddersfield result come through away Derby County and that goal goes in and it's huge if A, you want Newcastle to get promoted and B, you're writing a book that depends mm-hmm. upon Newcastle getting promoted. <laughs> so it was it was, it was was brilliant to be so involved in it and then I'm sure we'll talk about it towards the the end of uh, this, this, this conversation. But he really, Rafa couldn't have scripted the finish to the season any better from, from a purely selfish perspective. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's interesting how you say the work you had to do at the the end of the season to kind of narrow, like, finish it off. For me, it was surreal reading about Cardiff away, and you caught it perfectly because my bank balance wasn't recovered from <laughs> Cardiff away, and now I'm reading about it in print. But um, yeah, it was that those kind of final few games and the kind of jubilation. That was an away game, which, as a fan in the away end, yeah, it was. I don't think I've ever had anything like that before. It was stress free. It was joyous. Even last time when we went up, yeah. I, I do. You never really got that feeling of total joy amongst the support which we managed to capture though, particularly those last three games Preston Cardiff and uh, Barnsley mm. when you were writing the book were you particularly about that Ipswich time or maybe Leeds which was a couple of days before yeah. and you do chronicle those two games in the book themselves because yeah. they're big games um, were you were you starting to get nervous in terms of the direction of the book did you think maybe the book would be um, still a great you know still what it is but if there wasn't that finish if there wasn't that climax yeah, you know what, would you think it would have been maybe a little bit of a harder thing to push to people because if would have would have beaten Barnsley 3-0 you know 20,000 people leave early against Barnsley because they don't want to see the second place trophy lifted yeah yeah um, so you kind of, you're kind of grateful I take it for those ridiculous scenes oh no no completely as I, I think I think it's a strong enough story anyway because it is it feels like it's the start of something like it would be like chronicling Kevin Keegan's first season at the time or you know when Bobby had cast on the Champions League so it felt like that anyway it is the resurrection of the club because the club was at a real low ebb, it had been the drip drip of um, optimism fading away and you're thinking we're heading into a bleak period here and as ever with Newcastle, they, they take you to what you think is a barren place and then all of a sudden the club's off on a, one of its magic rides again. So I think, or at least I convinced myself that it was would be strong enough with promotion but then it just kind of it took a life of its own, you know, the le- things just fell into place if, if, if Leeds hadn't equalised Newcastle might have got promoted at Ipswich, which would not have been, you know, it's not the same. Newcastle might have been promoted when Hood they weren't playing, which would have been such an anti-climax. Things just fell into place. Newcastle get promoted at home for the first time mm. since 19, whether I did this, 1960 or whatever it was. Um, that's a bit of history for everybody to be part of. I'm then away with my son on the Saturday when, da 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 da, da 
Brighton got beat. He was at a football tournament. We were watching thing. Brighton are going to get beat here. Brighton are going to get beat. Or Newcastle doing what they quite often do, which is just teasing you. Or they're going to give us something truly dramatic. And then the you know the take that and squeeze the life out of that sponge on the final day of the season. You have a goal disallowed. Um, Aston Villa comes through the Twitter feed. There's a player sent off, and apparently you think that's it done. And then there's just that moment which. On the Sunday of the game, I would love to stay at Newcastle and had a few drinks, but it was kind of, mm. I need to go home and, and because I have to write this immediately as possible. So every me- memory of that game is absolutely fresh in my mind because it was just that bit of magic, that absolute magic of the ground suddenly exploding in the middle of the, the Newcastle and Sunderland song after Dwight Gale had scored. And it was just that rumble around the stadium and kind of you ch- everyone's checking their phones and their computers to see if that... that, that Sprinkle of gold dust has fallen at the end of the season, the 89th minute, 90th minute. So it was phenomenal. I'm very grateful for the way Rafa did it. I think the book would have survived on its own, yeah. but it gives it a heck of a lot more life. And it's a happy ending, isn't it? <laughs> Touching touch distance has a really sad finish. <laughs> Tunnel of Love has a tragic finish. So part of the reason for writing this one was people kept saying, when are you going to do something with a happy ending? I'm kind of, it felt it could not have fallen into the lap any better for, the, for that for this one. It was an absolute joy to write them. them them final few games and within the book I've kind of I've gone to the game with my dad for an away game at Ren, which is the first time we've done in years um, I've gone in the corporate area for the Norwich the yeah. 4-3 which is phenomenal um, you know I took my son to his first away game which was Blackburn um, and all them emotions that he's gone through I'd went through in 1987 when Newcastle played away at Everton that real sense of unity of being amongst Real hardcore Newcastle fans, the noise, the magic, the expectation, the sadness, the disappointment—all them things—and that was why it was. For, it was a completely different season for me to be able to put on loads of different hats. You know, I was in the way end at Cardiff, um, and as I said in the book, from 150 yards outside the stadium, all you could hear was the Newcastle fans having this ginormous party in the ground. And the second half, you just when it went two 0 you thought, "I wish this game would not finish because <laughs> it will not get better than this." This is this is. Ha- this is what the, the away end happy winning and as they realised with hindsight on the brink of something historical just just a great great moment and some some phenomenal highs during the season which I've tried to capture so if we're getting to the the mechanics of the of the book now obviously mm. it's, it follows a very similar um, formula to to Tunnel of Love and uh, Touch and Distance and that, that's the both chronicling what happened your own like you mentioned your own personal experiences yeah. And then interviews with the kind of uh, well, interviews with the best people you could possibly yeah. speak to, uh, from a range of Newcastle players right up to the manager. Why do you think Rafa was so keen to work with you on this project? Um, I'd like to think because we we we'd got on anyway. Touch and distance had been. I'd spoke to people around him when he first came, and they they'd start talking to me about the first book, which I was then led to believe he looked at, and he told his members of staff to read through. And then you you kind of I was around the club in the summer and lots of the little things he was doing had that real Keegan stamp even just freshening up the training ground changing it getting people to look after the foreign players it felt like he was using certain elements of what Keegan had done so well so perhaps that was it perhaps my timing was right um, as I said he would he said it would only come out if if Newcastle yeah. got promoted. Which puts a lot of pressure when you're writing these words, thinking if it doesn't quite work, I've wasted this time. But I always thought Newcastle would get promoted from quite obviously nothing. Perhaps there was a question mark after the second game of the season, but there was such belief, and the club was doing the things the right way. And you know, I get on with them. I think there's a 
private side he's a very very warm man um there's a real feel of the training ground that in the book it's you know he talks about the fact that he bought everybody at the training ground a christmas present they went into his office to get it they couldn't believe it they're all very surprised and he was quite reluctant to tell me that story because he didn't say anything dramatic in it but it's a happier football club to be around and that comes from him as a man there's a thoroughness which I try to capture in the book which is when I was invited towards the training session which was brilliant in how short and sharp and purposeful everything was done and just even them finer details he didn't signal to any of the staff but the pitch would kept changing in size for what he wanted three or four drills on each one then move on little little words in the ears of the players all the time just short sharp sentences that they, that would stick and then it was interesting to speak with Jamal Lascelles and Kieran Clark on that final week of the season where Jamal had said he walked past him in the corridor and he does bounce around the training ground Rafa uh, and he's always talking about football and he's always very upbeat and Jamal had said he will say something like goal side and he'll walk past you and he'll go and do something and, he said, and Jamal Lascelles said that sticks in your head all day because you know he's done it deliberately to make mm. sure you don't forget that message so he kind of he, ch- he changed he took Newcastle United Football Club back to the supporters and one of the things I've mentioned I can't remember which game it was it might have been Cardiff which is that the club remembered the two most important things which are the players and the fans and that's Benitez did that Benitez took the club back amongst the community to events like football kicks on a Friday night to the football foundation dues there was a real connection and he said that the football club wasn't lost but it needed um, it needed guidance and it needed help um, which is what he's done that's really interesting I'll, I'll, I'll mark that I'll talk about it later so we may as well talk about it now those charitable or community aspects that this might be really really unfair on previous yeah. Newcastle managers but I'm going to say it anyway there was a previous recent Newcastle manager who I was at a function with who um, seemed like a nice bloke and it seemed like um, he didn't have any problems with being there mm. but he, he was kind of there because he had to be that's the very much the feeling that came across there seems to be no way that was anyone else's idea to go to, to Westgate yeah. than, than Rafa's. You go into detail about the foundation dinner, yeah. which which is great because what he says is fantastic, the message. and Do, do you feel that this is a guy who, you know, you, you talk about it during the Spurs game, actually his family are really important to him. He sees this, or he sees football management anyway, as more than just coaching and tactics. And he understands this is a guy that people say gets Newcastle United. Mm. Would you say that when he's you know been and trying to engage with the wider community, if that's what you want to call it, yeah. is that a good example of someone who really? It's a kind of bad saying, but gets the area. Yeah, gets no, the no, I, club. I completely agree. To you know, he kept saying, "Together we are stronger." That wasn't something that came from marketing department. Yep. The, Newcastle, when it's been done best, has had one person at, at the core of the club who understands what the football club means and can manage. And can pull this, that, and the other together, and can horrible phrase can multitask and, and can do lots of different things. So he's incredibly professional in what he does in the training ground, the aspects towards each game, all of that stuff's done so well. But the side that perhaps is, Newcastle didn't realise until he came here was this warmth and the, this ability to embrace the football club, the community, the fans, what it all means to, to, to how much it means to people, to the point where. When he at his first press conference as Real Madrid manager, which had been his mother's team and which he'd been for twenty years as a youngster, you know he breaks into tears halfway through. He reads his resignation letter to Valencia and has to leave and goes in the dressing room and bursts into tears. 
he's there I think it was the 21st anniversary of Hillsbury he's pitched kind of the crowd this is not a forced reaction this is a bloke who is warm and um, understands it and those around him could see the love the Newcastle fans had from at Anfield and during the 2-2 draw and could see it against Tottenham those were key moments in persuading him to stay yes the mechanics have to be right That's that was the big thing with Mike Ashley at the end of the season I can do the emotions of, but the mechanics have to be right to give us a fighting chance but that ability to feel something with the supporters the fact that he comes onto the pitch at the end of the game when he casts a promoter and one of the first people he shakes hands with is the fellow that's taking down the net mm. they're the little details that make me cast net a far stronger club and it's it's him as a person it's not forced um, it's authentic isn't he it's an authentic yeah, that's it exactly you, perhaps other fans of football clubs are the same I don't know but Newcastle perhaps it's because this is the way Geordies are you, if you give honesty integrity and your heart to the football club you've got half a chance of doing well because the fans will follow you and they will back you it's when they think there is an ulterior motive or you're in it for something other than the success of their team then the thing starts to fall apart a little bit with Benitez he is a genuine bloke and from conversations with him this and this was the chat I had with them before Newcastle got relegated you know how big a club do you think this is top 10 and he said no 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 I went top 8 he went no no he says this is a top 5 club if everything is done correctly and that means taking care of transfers being astute in the transfer market finding out clauses building up relations say for example with Chelsea whereby you take a player on loan which they do quite a lot with mm-hmm. lots of good footballers and what Rafford said to me off the record was which I'm not breaking his trust they know we will coach them they know we'll make these players better so you take the example of Christian Atz who I, who I think is a better player now than yeah. when he signed come the end of it all Chelsea gets £6 million or they get a player back who's better the, this is clever work in the transfer market that Benitez wants to do now he's, he, he is adamant that if he gets all these things right and a lot of it's about control then you're talking about a top five football club which is what Newcastle fans have always thought was possible which is part of the reason for writing touch and distance which is to say Newcastle fans aren't delusional yeah. if this club is run properly it can fight at the top of the Premier League I'm pleased you mentioned the Spurs game in the book because it was the anniversary of that game recently um, well, a couple of weeks ago if that and there was a lot of discussion on social media saying it was a bad day and it was negative because it, sh- it showed what a load of mercenaries and I was a little I wasn't offended because people had their opinion <laughs> but I was shocked because I thought that was that was the day that I left St James's Park and I'm not, it wouldn't have just been just me yeah. thinking he might stay here yeah. like I, purely because we, we were in the corner and we, we, we were just we're just going to go to the game and sing his name and, and then you, you heard his comments after the game and I didn't know his family. I'd heard about his family at Liverpool. Mm. I didn't know it. And I think you say you had family and friends from Spain yeah. come to that game and, and witness mm. that. Um, and it's it's a nice little victory in the era of television money, in the era of declining, arguably declining attendances or interest. You look mm. at the likes of Arsenal with 20,000 empty seats against Sunderland. It's a nice little victory for football fans that, that we, like you say, the mechanics had to be perfect. Mm. And, you know, Rafa tells you in the book words to that effect quite in some detail well worth reading um but it's I, I was i was really pleased that you managed to get that from him and that spurs at home was an important day because it makes you feel as a fan a little bit more relevant and oh, appreciated no, definitely no no i completely agree with that and there was there were advisors and friends of rafa that i spoke to and they went to that game that day and they said they didn't know what to expect would the, would the crowd be angry would they be happy would they be indifferent but you got to 
complete. I think I've used the phrase the black and white peacock was fluff, mm. fluffing his feathers at Rafa Benitez because it was stay. It was like I think the fans knew that if Rafa Benitez leaves, nobody was sure yeah. what was going to come next. But the, certainly the consensus was that it wouldn't be very good. It certainly wouldn't have been as good as Rafa Benitez. So there was a real call like stay. If you stay, this is how good this football c- club can be, and this is how good this football club can be when it's getting relegated. Yeah. Therefore, and he, even. For all the drama and the excitement and everything that's happened this season, Benitez was kind of no champion, no no bus around town. This is this is stage one. This is the first step on the on the way to getting this football club back to where it should be. And it started. It probably started before the Tottenham game, but it certainly it was just such a bull. It was as bold a statement as a group of supporters could ever make. And that in the age of social media and um, petitions and everything else, it was like good old fashioned making noise at the ground everyone be united and show the manager what's possible here and it played a huge part in him staying great um one of the things which comes through the player interviews quite a lot and you've alluded to that you were you were at a training session and you go into some nice detail in the, in the book about what it's like to watch guys of that ability from close quarters um in a kind of non-pressure environment that you know compared to a game almost every single player you speak to i, th- I think every play speak to mentions training mm-hmm. which is which is a bit strange in terms of football you know you'd think that footballers are used to training <laughs> you know training isn't going to be anything special but maybe do you think that gives us an insight as fans to what we've got here at the moment that this is a guy that can you know every time you want that you speak to a, a footballer under him just wants to gush about how um tactical or how different or yeah. ingenious his training methods are well that was why it was so good so good to watch how i felt fairly privileged to watch with the former assistant manager of Spain and he's standing there and everything was so precise and all them things at any level of coaching don't let the players be bored don't let them do this there was no chance that because it, it just moved so quick from each bit to each bit preparation um, the repetition uh, certain ways that he wanted Newcastle to take a free kick or a corner or whatever it was and I think the Christian Atu's goal at um at Cardiff was Nicasa's 21st from a set piece so in the summer when he sat down with his coaching staff it was the how do we identify what is important to a championship team right what set pieces are going to be really important Nicasa scored 21 times having not been particularly great at that um, just that thoroughness and that small attention to detail and the end of the training session the four wide players do a tiny little bit of extra work and then at the, at the same time um, I think John Joshelle who was taking some more crosses and the goalkeepers it, it was short and sharp, and it had a, it had a reason. Um, Rafa has shown me some of the paperwork, the, the level of uh, scrutiny that he has on the players, which I didn't include in the book. Well, I won't go into great detail here, but it's incredible the amount of knowledge he has on each one of his footballers, and that thoroughness is what the football club needed. And that thoroughness, I think, is so important when the club has a little bit of a wobble and the city goes a little bit jelly need, like it perhaps did after the Ipswich game, just to say it's okay. We know what we're doing. We've got all the stats, and um, I think microcycles was the word he used for each little part of the season. And there are checks done within each microcycle to see how the fitness levels are progressing, and is each player doing what they should be doing. To the point where he was saying he had a centre midfield, a defensive centre midfielder, one of his former clubs, who's was averaging thirteen kilometres a game. And he said that's too much for that player of that position. That's the level of scrutiny the football club now has, and that you hope is why it kind of came to fruition even if it was uh, such a, in such a dramatic fashion one of the revelations of the book I think maybe I'm just uneducated 
is that Rafa Benitez called us called Newcastle United his representatives mm. I find that quite shocking yeah um, do, do you think that um, Lee Charney would have approached Rafa if he hadn't I think it was I think it was a coming together of all the things at the right time um, Newcastle needed something new and bold and vision with vision and at the same time Rafa Benitez was back home he'd lived away from his family when he was in Napoli and in Madrid and he wanted to stay in England and he was aware that there was a big club which had made a bit of an impact from its supporters from getting off the bus underneath the Milburn stand when he was at Liverpool um, so it was the perfect time for him to come into this football club because he looked around Man United wasn't going to happen Man City for obvious reasons not Man United Man City had Guardiola coming in Liverpool had Klopp uh, Wenger and Pochettino seemed to have Arsenal and, Tot- and then after that you're going which, which is the biggest club and Newcastle was there and it is all them cliches it was the sleeping giant it was a club that had been neglected um, and it was just a, it, it worked from both sides and it was it it was never obvious and it still doesn't seem obvious that, that you go from Real Madrid to Newcastle United because of what Newcastle how they'd been going about the head coach and all that kind of that nonsense um, but he was the per- perfect fit for the football club and that's why I think the supporters made such a noise during the Tottenham game to make sure that he stayed because they knew that this is this is potentially something important. Do you think that, or, or actually, when you speak to him regularly, does he talk much about his previous career? Because you start the book off giving fans a little bit of a um, micro-history of Rafa Benitez's career, and then actually when you speak to Rafa throughout the book, it seems to come through quite a lot. You'll say, well, when we were here, this happened. Yeah, when yeah. we were there, does, does, does that happen regularly? Does he kind of constantly kind of give... Not, I wouldn't say... He has to um, prove himself or give yeah. you examples or anyone else examples, but he seems quite keen to, to remind everyone of what he's done in the game. I think it's, as, uh, I'm not sure if it's deliberately to remind people that he is a football obsessive <laughs> and he, you forget that it's this career that's been at Liverpool, Chelsea, Napoli, Inter Milan, Real Madrid, Tenerife, Osasuna, Estonia, so it's, he's been in, in the game for so long. He wants to talk about football. You talk to people at the training ground, Rafa's talking about football. All he talks about is football. I think it was the Jack Callback interview where he says, I think he goes home and talks to his missus about football. <laughs> it's He is just an obsessive, a complete football obsessive, which, again, in the book, it goes back to videoing games, when, or taking notes of games when he was 13 or 14 to put about a certain player or what have you, videoing games before we were in the internet age. He's just a, he's just obsessed with the game, um, and he takes that knowledge in any United, which is why, you know, why it's so important that he stayed. I'm pleased you mentioned Jack Colbert there, actually, because I, I really enjoyed that part of the book probably one of my favourite lines in it um, with the Game of Thrones reference <laughs> but I'll, I'll leave that for people to read um, but yeah there's a player who particularly social media gets a lot of stick mm. you know I've, I've never ever seen him put in a performance where I thought he's ever tried anything but his best Yeah, and that that again this is going back to Newcastle United pre-Rafa yeah. that probably doesn't sound you know if someone listened to this in five years time <laughs> and Rafa stayed that probably sounds ridiculous but yeah. unfortunately it hasn't always been the case Yeah, yeah. and it's also I thought he was very integral player particularly mm-hmm. first kind of 20 games you referenced the Leeds game yeah, I yeah. think and, and I thought he was excellent in that game at Leeds away do you, do you get a feeling that he kind of appreciated what was going on a little bit more because the other lads you speak to are all uh-huh. absolutely positive and I think it's um, Dwight Gale and Matt Ritchie who who kind of signed at the same time at the Hilton together with Matt yeah. and they, they can't believe what's happening but did you get that feeling from Jack that he maybe as a local lad understood what you were getting at a little bit more by speaking to him no no de- def- definitely 
he did I wonder if it's always going to be a local lad gets a bit of grief um, it has happened in Newcastle a bit it's not you know it's one of them you just have to deal with it but he used the nice analogies of going to get your petrol or going to the shop with your head down and he said you were ashamed in the summer after relegation you'd let everybody down and he said everybody wants which is one of the points I'm trying to make in the book everybody wants to talk to you about Newcastle United if you're a player at that particular time it must be awful and that was a time when certain players didn't care and the fans perception of the players at that period was that they didn't care they weren't in the, weren't seen in the community as great deal they didn't seem particularly bothered by results but Jack Colbert was a Newcastle fan who got dogs abuse from Sunderland Sports for leaving Sunderland and then came Newcastle and then the club didn't do well so it was a really hard time for him so he had lived it from several different perspectives and it was it was nice that he gave you that feeling of it didn't matter to him relegation did hurt he didn't want to be seen not many players actually came out and said that a great deal because the club had a bit of bounce after yeah but they're still going around with their friends and sitting there and you know um people are kind of wondering why the club has been relegated and he was in the middle of all that so i agree with you i, it took, I think he came back and did very well up towards the end of the season as well um he was came in and, did, and, and played well and got his head down and did his job and did what rafa benitez asked of him um and was you know was another cog an important cog in, in the newcastle team yeah, and the players we've just alluded to there, I suppose particularly Gail, Rich, I mean, all, all the interviews are absolutely brilliant, actually. Rob Elliott's is, is great as well, but um, yeah, G- Gail and Richie as well, uh, this might be complete guesswork on my part, mm. but it seems very much like Raf has signed them as people. He needed the players of those yeah. ability, but could he have found two more like hard-working, decent yeah, yeah. lads who... You know, you talk about in the you talk to Dwight about where he's come from, which yeah, yeah. I think there's been a little bit of media coverage, but I don't think it's been as well mm. um, captured by anyone else as you did because it because it, it really does chronicle you know sixteen yeah. uh, working with his dad and, yeah, and, yeah. and and where he came from. Do you think do you think those two guys are have there been better signings in your lifetime or certainly since the Keegan era that just get the club and fit? But I keep I keep drawing the parallel between Matt Ritchie and Rob Lee, yeah. and I think. He was a great signer for the club. He was in. He works really hard. He scores goals. He creates goals. He's a lively character. And there's there was a really good anecdote from Jamal Lascelles when he said the first day Matt Ritchie came on the training ground, he started having a go to play for not doing the right mm. thing. And Jamal said, "I like that straight away." He says because that's what we had not had in the dressing room. You know, um, let's Jamal Lascelles. Uh, so I come back to Dwight and back and back to Matt Ritchie. But Lascelles is positioning all of this is really important because he was in the dressing room when Newcastle lost to Crystal Palace under Steve McLaren and he was just a kid was he 21 and he was calling people out in the dressing room and at a time when Fabrizio Colaccini was saying nothing the captain in that dressing room was saying nothing this young lad was having a go I don't know if you would sell happen away when Newcastle lost 3-1 and they were terrible in the first half and he thought this is a surrender and it was just after Daryl Yanmat had went off with a, with a groin injury and the player that called him out was Jamal Lascelles, again, this young lad. He kind of perhaps hasn't had the credit he deserves, but Newcastle have had the best defensive record in the division. Lascelles has led that team, so now they all go out for meals together, they, they enjoy each other's company, which is was not there when he arrived. For that, people like Matt Ritchie and Dwight Gale become important because fundamentally they've got to be good players. You've also got to be able to take the pressure of the football club because it's a, it's a big jump from... Bournemouth or Crystal Palace mm. far, far, far more isolated far more intense scrutiny and you have to be able to play but as you said they've got to be good characters 
and that was something that got lost in football committees and the obsession with France and Holland will they fit in the dressing room are these good lads will they be able to grow as a team and I felt Newcastle did grow as a team and that there were celebrations on the pitch at the end of the season were great they were all in, in it together and Jamal had said um, there was like a segregation kind of he said he said, that, he said I'm not going to slag off the former players he said but you would finish and then that was it you would go home and that was it and I've said this come before there's a lot of talk about absent owners but Newcastle had absent players you do the bare minimum you go into training you go home turn up for the match put the strip on and you go home and it was interesting reading the book sorry researching for the book going back to what Rafa had said after Southampton um, Sim Aries and he had said we are so brittle that one thing goes wrong and the mental strength in the team is so poor that we go to pieces now that, that is exactly what happened that day you can't you, and I was writing that probably with a game to go and you thinking the contrast from then to now yeah. which is why I think Benitez hasn't had the praise he deserves because you had to turn around a football club in decline with a rotten dressing room, with a mental attitude that was really weak and gave in to one that will fight and fight and fight and fight till the 89th minute of the final day of the season. That's not an easy thing to transform, to bring in new players like Matt Ritchie, like Dwight, like Dwight Gale, who have the right attitude and the right talent to make this football club. is not easy to sell players for good money who are who wanted to go. Very last summer was one of the most important in the club's history because they had to get promoted, and to have done it that well. I think Benitez and even Lee Charney deserve more credit than they've had and I'm a massive fan of Chris Hewton, I get on with him very well but you thought why does Rafa not get manager of the year, He was, I think he was the only one of the four divisional winners yeah. that didn't get it, I, I think it's been underplayed just how good a season he's had in Newcastle. It's a great point and I absolutely agree and I think um, when people read the book they'll They'll maybe get Rafa feels a little bit like that as well, and, and he speaks to you at the at the end. Mm. Um, you know the, the statistics, which we all kind of know now, but we didn't know at the start of the season. Yeah, yeah. You know the how few promoted teams yeah, yeah. go back up automatically or at all. Um, you know Rafa makes the point to you in the book about having basically like six weeks, <laughs> three months to six weeks to learn the division, and that's again testament to Chris Utnai brought Brighton from whatever, wherever they were and um, 19th but he had two two and a half seasons yeah. Rafa had six weeks yeah. to prepare for this season um, and I think that uh, what I like in the book as well is it's not just well it's it, first of all it's obviously an accurate reflection of what's happened but that, that also includes the negative points because it, for me this has been one of my well it's, it is my most enjoyable season for Newcastle I've yeah. been doing it as long as you um, <laughs> but there's been some bumps along the way you know yeah. Blackburn was, was one and yeah. you know Ipswich was one I was at both those games yeah. Birmingham in the Cup Oxford in the Cup yeah. that was they were disappointing from my perspective as a fan and think well you know A look at the job he's doing and mm. the job he did eventually but B th there was no need for the reaction after Ipswich mm. and, and and you go into the book and you actually explore a couple of the reasons why like you say, Tyneside goes into meltdown. Yeah, you, you do. You do go into why it's happening in terms of previous stuff and yeah. whatever. But I'm pleased you chronicle those those negative moments as well. So it's not just mm. all a fairy tale because it was a hard, long slog of a season, wasn't it? For everybody, yourself included, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It it was a slog of a season from several different perspectives. First of all, kind of trying to keep everybody optimistic all the time is not easy. So when there are little blips, you kind of have to say, "Look, it'll it'll pass. Don't worry about that one." The other thing is the gamble of writing 50,000 words about a campaign and leaving yourself with a lot to do at the finish. So when it did come to an end, it was it felt it felt like such a slog that I've now got to do another 30,000 words. But it was 
that was an interview with Jamal Lascelles and Kieran Clark together, which was great. That was a couple of hours spent with Rafa in his office. That was the drama of trying desperately to chronicle that final day and squeeze every emotion that I'd felt and everybody in that stadium had felt into that report. So that was an absolute pleasure to do, but the season just went on and on and on. And, you know, you would, having previously spoke with Steve Bruce about it, or I used to know some players at Hull, they would say you can never get too down in this division because you might have three games in eight days and if you win them you've just gone from eighth to third and people go whoa here, come, here they come again and obviously the flip side of that is you could lose two and suddenly you start falling down the division um, the, the slog element Keith Stroud um, that that night against Burton the chaos that went with that Steve Martin away at Nottingham Forest Bobby well, Bobby, we'll call him Bobby Mad. <laughs> not, not what I call him in the boot. And the penalty at Brighton, and some of the refereeing decisions just went on. And thought, God, this. I, as a journalist, I've never criticised referees. I don't get involved in all that. A lot of it's just kidology. A lot of it's managers protecting themselves. But this season, you're like, good grief! Newcastle need to get out of the Premier League because I'm not sure we could do another <laughs> division. So that was one element of the slog. Not to mention the journeys, you know, to go again in the book. I've said those who suggested Newcastle had it easy just didn't follow the campaign to go to Brighton to Huddersfield and to go to Redden in the space of eight days when you are as far north as we are was a hell of a hell of a slog and to still have 4,000 people at Redden still behind the team just shows you what, what this football club means to people and then he, even speaking to Matt Ritchie afterwards he said yeah you know we were a bit leggy at the end we were a bit tired but Newcastle emerged from that period and you think oh, that that it's going to get close now because the, the, they've stepped up that's what you really wanted to see from Newcastle team here comes a challenge can you step up so there's loads of highs and lows and there was the, the, the Leeds game when I, when Newcastle won at Leeds and you thought it was really noisy Leeds had filled Ellen Road for the first time I think in six years and then you watch the first ten minutes Leeds couldn't get the ball and then the next ten minutes Leeds couldn't get their own half and the, Newcastle killed the crowd. I thought this is a this is a something a little bit different for a Newcastle team to do that. They've set out to take the crowd out of this game. So there was, and then obviously as you mentioned, the defeats taking your son to his first away game at Blackburn and Newcastle lose. It's kind of here comes the, you know it, it will all Newcastle following Newcastle United at any level will always have a bite. Um, but I maybe it was the positivity that I, I wanted to write this book. Man, I kept thinking this will work out in the end. Um, but th- those periods when Newcastle does go a bit in, were are hard to take, and I think Rafa Benitez got a shock at the start of the season when them first two two um, losses came and invited several pe- people, yourself included, to go and see him just to say, look, it'll be all right, but we can't act like the world is ending with one or two defeats, which yeah. was important, and that was so important after Ipswich, so important that somebody at the top didn't start making crazy tactical decisions or coming out and saying stupid things. It was look, all right, we need to correct a couple of things but we'll be alright just stay with us and that was so important but you're right it was a slog but it it was a slog but nobody at Cardiff wanted that game to finish Yeah, you could have quite happily played the 89th minute for a couple of days and people would have still been <laughs> cheering along so uh, and there was there's also that sense of sadness maybe is when the season finished because it's nice it it reminds me of being young when you see Newcastle with a big following away and you don't get that so often in the yeah. Premier League so the fill up the way ends at Wigan and uh, Barnsley and Blackburn they're great they're great days and the other element is Newcastle win 14 times yeah. in a champ- championship season away from home it won't be that like that next season no matter how well the team does 
So uh, I may, may as well, since I've got you, get your thoughts on next season and knowing Rafa as you do. Um, a, I think you were very um, positive on on social media when asked by fans about his future, even before the end of the season. Yeah. Um, which was great, and so you probably weren't surprised by the news that came out that Rafa was going to stick a fault. Um, no, but the how emphatic it was was right. really felt like a big moment, kind of. Um, there is a desire to do well. There is a desire to go into the transfer market, but there's Rafa's desire as well, which is to restructure the club and to well, not re- sorry, not restructure the club, to put new parameters to it in terms of what happens at the academy, playing a certain style, being able to bring players through in the first team. As I said, kind of using players from Chelsea, other clubs in Europe that he has um, good relationships with, people from Seville, Villa, Seville, Seville coming over to see how Newcastle work. So there's lots of different levels. He has phenomenal ambition for the football club, and it was one of them. I was fairly certain he was going to stay, but for it to be that bold was a really big moment. And that notion, which I think will be the case, that he will get X million pounds to spend, plus what he creates from the transfer market from sales. But that he's in charge of the squad is so important that he will decide who comes and goes, and he is the one that has two hundred. Agents plus saying congratulations when he has to get promoted mm. because they've got players that will maybe be able to do a job for the football club, um, and it's not. A, okay, I understand tabloidies, phrases of this cash pot, this that and the other. He will he will go and bring in better quality footballers, which is what has to be done um, to advance the team. And that it was Kevin Keegan had it. It's it very very simple, but Keegan had it. You buy somebody who's better than what you've already got, and then you move the team forward, and the football club moves forward, and the fans are happy. And Newcastle lost sense of that for a couple of seasons, where they kept bringing in players, and you thought he's not even better than what's here. Yeah. To the point where it was still Colachini and Stephen Taylor centre halves, seven eight years after promotions. Kind of the team forgot to evolve. What Benitez will do is he will make sure that he's ruthless and hard. And thanks, you've done a job, but you have to go now. And nobody did that better than Kevin Key and Newcastle get promoted in nineteen ninety. In the early nineties, and David Kelly, twenty-seven goals. You will never kick a ball for this football club in the Premier League. Shakes his hand. Thank you for bringing in Peter Beardsley. That level of scrutiny and ambition and ruthlessness is inside the Newcastle manager's office again, which gives the club a fighting chance of doing well. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining today. I think we've we've, we've, we've touched on everything. Um, it's worth worth repeating again. Do you just want to tell people when? When the book's out or how they can buy it when it's yes, out? Yes, no, no, sure. If you go to touchanddistance.com, uh, you can pre-order signed copies from there. We are hoping to be at Newcastle Central Station on Friday um, where there is an arts and crafts market. Literally, the book is going to press on Thursday night, so we are hoping to have them lorry them up. Hmm. If they do, we will see you there. So fingers crossed, keep an eye on social media for that. That will be on Friday. On Sunday, we will be at Tynemouth Market um, selling copies of Rafa's Way again. Father's Day is a mm. not is lurking fairly fairly soon, so it's not a bad present. Um, and I'll sign a message or whatever. Other than that, keep keep an eye out. We'll be doing other events and maybe see if I can get a player or two along as well. So uh, and to those who are listening and have bought Touch and Distance and Tunnel of Love, just a massive massive thank you to you all. It's a hell of a lot of work. I think the first one was one hundred six thousand words. The second mm. was ninety seven thousand. This one is about ninety two thousand words. I'm not sure I have many words left on Newcastle United <laughs> and you end up working until God knows what time in the morning, I don't like to think, you forego sleep for a month or two, 
and then every now and then you'll get something on Twitter or from wherever else from somebody I don't know saying reading this in tears or whatever love it that makes it all worthwhile so huge thank you Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day from Movement whether your mom is into classic dress watches rare and refined ceramics or tried and true bestsellers Movement has something she'll love and right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.